1: It's the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hello, everybody. We're coming at you on a Thursday evening, a little different schedule. We thought not only that did John and I need a little breather on our usual Wednesday night based on what occurred just in a lot of different aspects of life yesterday, but we thought maybe everybody could use a little breather, but we are back. We're talking Bengals because there is a ton to talk about with the Cincinnati Bengals, even though their season is over. I am Anthony Kazenza. Joined by the guy in the stylish hoodie, I was complimenting him before we uh, took the air. There, John Sheeran. John, how you doing, bud?
2: Yeah, I, I like this hoodie. But as people can see on YouTube, it's like it's the hoodie that it, it's ingrained in my mind as like what AJ Green was in like 2019 because he always wore this this like hoodie. When he was just on the sideline, oh, and we yeah, always yeah, yeah, yeah. we always chose those pictures for AJ Green articles that season. It was just depressing because we never saw him in uniform. But yeah, yeah. yeah I like I like the hoodie though; it's very comfortable.
1: It looks it looks pretty sharp, man. I'm not I'm not lying. I'm uh, I'm a little envious. Yeah. I, now that you mentioned that about AJ Green, I totally remember like when we do stories on Cincy Jungle you pull up an AJ Green picture where he's kind of frustrated about something he's on the sideline. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally now I totally recognize it. Uh, anyway. We got a lot to talk about tonight. A lot of news and notes surrounding the team. Uh, we don't usually go over the news and notes in the team um, you know, to start off a show, but there is a lot to get to. So we will do all of that, talking about the, the season ending, the coaching search, what's going on there. Uh, we've got a little Willie Anderson to talk about, Joe Burrow to talk about, a lot of different stuff to talk about tonight on that front. We're going to do a little 2020 season recap, maybe give out a couple of awards, maybe do some top moments. And then we're going to get on out of here and uh, leave it at that. But uh, let's get right to it, John. The Bengals end their season on an absolutely sour note against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Lose, you know, they score six points against the Ravens in two games this year. Pretty pathetic. Um, we don't, not much to talk about in, in terms of the game, I guess. But I just kind of some thoughts that you took away from that, and then we can talk about some coaching stuff from there based on some fallout this week.
2: It's funny that you brought up the six points because the three points in the first game it was a field goal that like the defense coordinator Wink Martindale like hated and it was so yeah, petty about, <laughs> and uh, it, the 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 field goal in this last game was so obviously the same thing like they just didn't want to get shut out and if they yeah. didn't hit, hit that field goal would they would have lost thirty eight to nothing and would have been a lot worse had uh, Lamar Jackson exited the game after the third quarter it, it it was terrible there's nothing more or less that you could say I hate Effort analysis and like saying, Oh, this team's not trying, or they gave up because, like, I it's it just feels hard to do that on the football field, and it's not something that I think anybody, any of us can fairly judge. But yeah. 404 rushing yards that doesn't happen by accident it has nothing to do with the fact that they had just had backup cornerbacks, like the, that, that front seven out there that's m- by more or less the same front seven that they've had for the past several weeks, including weeks where they've been decent on defense. So it, it's it's inexcusable, but it's also. It's just the nature of what this matchup is. Like this Ravens team is built perfectly to run all over the Bengals team. And it, it's it's symbolic because they spent the entire offseason trying to gear up for these matchups and, and acquire this talent on defense. And basically none of that talent aside from a couple of players ended up playing in this game. And we saw we saw the results of it. It was it was a decimation of biblical proportions and it was, it was- just it was terrible. There's nothing more you could say.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I recapped it and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but 400 and what was it? 404 rushing yards, the most ever given up by a Bengals team ever the fourth most by an NFL team given up in a, in a single game since 1950, fourth, most, um, the tackling was atrocious on that side of the ball. So that's, I guess where you, you could maybe have that quote unquote effort conversation. Um, the tackling was just non-existent, but um, like you said, I mean, the personnel has largely been the same over the past month or so on that side of the ball. And, and that, that performance was weak. I mean, yeah, Josh Allen, what was he? Six of 21. Um, I mean, just a, just a pathetic performance on offense as well, all around a really, really bad day. We, we thought based on some of the progress we had seen the previous two weeks, maybe this would, the Bengals would at least make a game of it, maybe even pull one out if it, we were trying to romanticize the thing and it didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't even come close. So, it's, a, it's once again kind of a stark reminder as to how far away the Cincinnati Bengals, at least from Week 17 in 2020, how far away they are to competing with some of the AFC bad boys. And John now um, a lot to catch up with in terms of the Bengals in the AFC North. Three teams made the playoffs, and those three teams all had 11 wins in the division, first time since 2002 when they re- realigned the divisions that that happened.
2: Yeah, you mentioned, like we talked about this game uh, leading up to it, it was like, oh, they can cap off those other two wins, for the three-game win streak and be like the, the greatest dead cat bounces of dead cat bounces, but no, they just fell flat. And it, like we, we had a feeling that m- most of this coaching staff was coming back, like definitely Zach after those two games, but all they had to do was not get humiliated like this because if this happens, then there was a chance that something could happen. But, of course, you know, it's not the Bengals' way. They don't re- react to just one game at the end of the season, even though, you know, throughout recent history, they've been able to hold on to s- certain coaches after uh, performances in the final couple weeks. This game could have and maybe should have changed some things. But with 400 rushing yards allowed and 38 points and only three points on offense, no- nothing really the the, the the thought process the, the decision process didn't change and n- everything remained the same and that it, it was that, that's what made it kind of shocking I guess the news that we're going to get to with with this coaching staff like this was the one game that in theory they shouldn't have been able to have in order for them to keep everything for the most part the way it is and now only like one major change on this coaching staff after this performance it it really was not what they needed in order to sell. The message that they're continuing that they're continuing to try to sell, and it just made I guess the news from this week a little bit more shocking than what I think we originally thought it was going to be. Because again, we thought that these guys, most of them, are coming back. But after this performance, for to for them to basically act like it never happened, it was just it was just a little awkward and a little strange to me.
1: Absolutely. We've, we've talked about, you mentioned the coaches. We're going to talk about what we know so far as we sit here late in the week, the first week that the Bengals won't be going into a Sunday playing football. Um, And you also talked about a message. So I shared this, I believe on my, on the Monday water cooler chat, I want to share it again real quick. It's the statement by Mike Brown. Um, and, And I think I want to share this, John, kind of to your point about, you know, what we saw in the two games preceding the Ravens loss, we were like thinking progress, progress, progress. And if that, if those two games were the impetus for Mike Brown to say, you know what, we got to keep some of these guys around that we're questioning, whether it's Brian Callahan, Lou Anarumo, Zach Taylor, some of the top coaches on this staff. And then, you know, like we, they give up a historically bad performance on defense, probably a, a near one on offense. And, you know, they, they still didn't really – Uh, They felt that what they saw in the two weeks prior was enough. So quickly, here is the, hopefully everybody can see this. This is from bangles.com. I think everybody has seen or heard this right now. I just want to reread this real quick, John, and I want to get your take because I haven't heard your take on this yet in terms of these words because I thought this message was, uh, there's truth to it, but it's almost like where's the PR team? (laughs) Uh, because I I see basically our fans, quote-unquote, from Mike Brown, our fans wanted a fresh new direction two years ago, and that is what we aim to do in hiring a bright, energetic head coach in Zach Taylor. We remain bullish on the foundation Zach is building, and we look forward to next year giving our fans the winning results we all want. In Zach's two years, we have added many new starters and contributors through the draft. We've invested heavily in free agency, and we have acquired a talented young quarterback with a bright future. The season we faced – Uh, This season, we face challenges with injuries at key positions and missed opportunities. I am proud of our football team for fighting hard through adversity. That adversity and hard work will help us next season. We'll enter the offseason looking to shore up our weaknesses and amplify the strengths of our talented young core. We are not discouraged, but instead feel motivated and confident that next year we will reap the benefits of the work that has been done to date. We must capitalize on the opportunities in front of us. Next year, we will earn our stripes john sheeran next year we're going to earn the stripes uh i i think moegger of ESPN yes and what it kind of said something to the effect of the tone I, I kind of felt this way too when i read it initially i thought i was alone on that island so it was kind of refreshing to hear moegger talk about like it was almost like hey you you asked for this you asked for this and this is what you're getting i, I know that's not really what he kind of meant but it really comes off that way. and I, I just, oh, I, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way personally, how it came off. I, I don't know if it's just because it's a sensitive time after two really bad seasons. but what do you what did you think when you read that?
2: no, it it's it's incredibly tone deaf, and I guess that's why they don't have Mike really saying anything anymore. And my my, my whole opinion on Mike, I, I, I think people obviously despise him for obvious reasons. I don't think he doesn't want to win. I just think he doesn't really know how and that's yeah. why he's regulated control for most of the operations to his his daughter Katie and and Katie and Troy basically run the ship now and he just is, is around to, to just be around. But this is kind of why he doesn't really say things at all because he 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 can't put it on the fans. He can't he he can't say that this is what we the collective we wanted We didn't want six and a half wins in two years after Marvin Lewis left town. We wanted progress from where that was. It was from taking from step B to step C. C means competing for championships, not just playoffs. So six wins in two years is not what we wanted. We wanted obviously to move on from that previous regime, but we wanted to do it correctly. And after two years of seeing this, for the most part, there's not a lot of confidence that, everything is going in the right direction. And if everything revolves around the quarterback and the quarterback you know, runs this ship, then maybe take a look at the coaching staff to see how they can make that quarterback a little bit better than what he is right now. So it was incredibly tone deaf, but also, to, I mean, to, to, to Mike's point, I guess, if you just want to throw out the Ravens game and act like it doesn't matter at all because of how depleted they were and because how outmatched they were, against that team. It, it, then you also have to put it in context of the other two wins and the other wins that showcase the quote-unquote progress that they were making, going up against the Steelers team that had a terrible quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, going up against a Texans team that was terrible aside from Deshaun Watson. And the fact that Deshaun Watson exposed that defense, you know, a week before the Ravens ran all over them, and the fact that the defense performed well against, again, bad offenses, there's context that we can pr- provide with every situation of everything in that paragraph, and it all kind of leads back to the same thing. This is not good enough, and just because you started the process two years ago doesn't mean that you're excused from not starting it maybe a year earlier than what you than what you could be doing this time next year.
1: Yeah, the, the statement was just, I don't know, it was, it was very, very Mike Brown. Um, for those who have followed this team for any length of time, it was just very Mike Brown. There was a lot of cliches, a lot of different phrases in there that, I don't know, you just, if, if you know Mike Brown, this this really kind of wasn't, that much uh the verbiage wasn't very unexpected but now the cincinnati Bengals, going into the the coaching situation they've hung on to their head coach apparently they're hanging on to all three of their coordinators special teams offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator a lot of people thought maybe lou anaruma was going to be one of the guys that was going to be let go uh not not apparently the case it sounds like it's all going to be position coaches lower level guys Uh, Please correct me if I forget someone here, John. The running backs coach, Jamal Singleton, has now moved on to the University of Kentucky. Um, Bob Bicknell, the wide receivers coach, has um, moved on. I don't know if he's landed anywhere as of yet. You've got Jim Turner, the one that a lot of people wanted to see go, the offensive line coach. He is not being retained. And then, of course, who else am I missing? Um, Defensive line coaches, Nick Eason and Chapman, um, I believe. Gerald,
2: Gerald Gerald Chapman, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um So that's that those who are not those are the guys who are not being retained. They were here from, uh, you know, they were here this last year and, uh, so, you know, all, all of that. The Bengals now have moved on from those guys. Is it enough in your eyes? I mean, is this is that is that going to be enough to propel them to being a competitive team next year? Or is it dependent upon who they hire to replace those guys or still not enough?
2: Well the only one that really matters is Turner and it, and according to reports from the Athletic like it was a mutual party. his contract just expired and they both both sides knew it was best for them to you know move on like Turner didn't want to be there and they knew that they had to put something on the offensive line struggle so they just moved on from a career bad offensive line coach um, I think Easton and Chapman like they they go together because Chapman is is a defensive assistant and he basically took over for Easton when Easton was on the COVID reserve list to take over for the defensive line, and just kind of seems like they're placing all the issues on defense on the lack of pass rush and just putting on those assistants. I think those those guys will be able to find jobs, you know, pretty soon. Easton was a pretty decent player, and I think he was just just a hot name to come up uh, a couple years ago in, in uh, the coaching cycle there. You know, Bignell and, and Singleton. It seems like you know th- those are just. Just I guess kind of prominent names on, on the staff to you know fix issues at you know wide receiver and I guess get a new face and at, at running backs coach. But Anthony, like, it, I, the, the, I, like you said, the big news is in room was sticking around, and I, I think a lot of people thought that that wasn't going to be the case after the Ravens game. But I guess there is the angle of if you if you're putting Zach Taylor on the hottest of hot seats in 2021, is it smart? I guess to go after a new defensive coordinator when the head coach that is going to hire him may only, may only be around for a year? Is it just better to have all three of those guys, the hierarchy of this coaching staff all here together in case they all just sync together, I guess, would be the argument.
1: Yeah, that and uh, that's that's a very good point. And the only other argument I can see for keeping Lou Anarumo, it's been embedded in in what we shared there with when they talked about the free agency investments. They talked about in you know unfortunate missed opportunities and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the injuries – we knew that the Bengals were going to hang their hat on, you know, embed those excuses into what changes were or were not made this, this coming off season. Um, And I, I still think to be fair to Lou Arumo, um, we never saw really Geno Atkins next to DJ reader. We didn't see DJ reader for much of the, uh, much of the season. We never saw William Jackson with Trey Waynes. We never saw the way this defense was, meant to be designed because so many starters were out of the lineup. But on the same vein, injuries happen to every team, and they happen to a lot of different teams. you got to find ways to overcome that. So I, I think the main excuse uh, maybe to keep a guy like Anna Rumo is is kind of what you pointed to, John, which is, you know what? We're going to let these guys sink or swim together. And uh, I, I think based on what we've seen, it, it might be the former and, and not the latter, but – uh i i think that's a good point about you know kind of maybe these guys will all go down together if if it's a massive failure again next year
2: yeah and i think going back to that that statement it just seemed like everything was pointed towards this roster was not competitive enough for this coaching staff to get the results that they desired so they're they're putting it all on the lack of talent which which should signal for another sizable roster turnover this offseason and presumably more spending in free agency but i i just I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I I don't know how this roster is completely overturned and fixed completely in just one off season. Like this was always going to be a multi-year process, but they're now going to lose some progress because they're moving on f- from Geno Atkins. They already moved on from Carlos Dunlap. You kind of figured that the, both those guys would be around through at least the 2021 season, but now none of the, neither of those guys are going to be here. AJ Green's moving on. He doesn't have a long-term deal. There's a lot of core pieces that we're going to fill valuable pieces on this roster that, that are not going to be here anymore. And that saves up cap space, but also creates holes that, that you need to fill immediately. So this roster was already like potentially fixable for this off season, but now it's a little bit further behind. And then you have the Trey Hopkins news of, of him yeah. having a torn ACL and you have an, another hole on the offense line that you have to fill. And then you have a lot of pieces on defense that either need to be resigned or replaced. It just seems like there's, there's a lot of work to do on this roster and it's not going to be completely fixed where you can use that excuse as to, okay, the roster fixed. Now we can properly evaluate the coaching staff. Like you said, injuries happen to every team and they happen to other teams like the Bengals in a more severe way. And you can't always put the injuries like you can't always have that excuse for the coaches at some point they need to produce results. And like it or not, this roster is going to have major holes in 2021 and this coaching staff needs to work to overcome it to earn a 2022. So the Bengals have
1: already started some work in terms of finding replacements, particularly at offensive line. And we've got a couple of uh, people asking us about, I think it was Lindsey Brillhart and others asking about um, our our thoughts about the the coach that the Bengals brought in as an offensive line coach candidate, Hank Fraley, um, who just... Old-school throwback name. Love that. Uh, But he is a well-respected guy around the league. He got the Lions offensive line that has a a couple of very good players and a couple of other just kind of, you know, rookies and journeymen uh, along the line. He had them playing pretty well this year. Um, Seems on, uh, you know, at first blush, it seems to be something that would be a pretty good hire for the Cincinnati Bengals, especially
2: coming off of the Turner era. Yeah, I mean, like – really anybody who has a pulse is going to be looked as an upgrade over <laughs> to turn. like honestly like it, it, it was a it was a bad hire from the start and there are uh, there were a lot of other quality candidates at that time and there still are a lot of other quality candidates I know jay Morrison had uh fraley as like his first option in an article that he wrote about potential line candidates before the the report of fraley being interviewed on Friday and I, it, it does make a lot of sense you know he was He's only been an offensive line coach for one season, but he's been an assistant for a couple teams in the last uh, decade or so. He was assistant uh, with the Lions in the first two years. Matt Patricia. He was an assistant for Mike Zimmer's initial staff with the Vikings. He's a former player, and I think there is something to be said about former players then transitioning into to uh, assistant coaching roles. There's a little bit. There's just respect that kind of comes with that. Um, but there are, there are also other options that they can look to. But I think Fraley is a good one to kind of start the search as like an up and coming guy who got progress out of that Lions offense line as well. Like in, in a way they, they had like Taylor Decker, who's a solid starter left tackle and Frank Ragnar who could have been easily a pro bowler coming out of Arkansas. now it has developed into a pro bowl. So pro bowler. So it's like, it's like they just didn't mess up that part of his development and he's become the player that they expected him to be. But other than that, they had to work with a lot of like late-round guys and a lot of guys that they had to develop into their maximum potential, and they ended up producing a decent offensive line for the Lions. So the resume is definitely solid, but there are definitely other options out there that they should definitely be looking at.
1: Yeah, Pride of Detroit, the SB Nation site covering the Detroit Lions. Uh, this was re- relayed via the Bengals Talk Twitter account. Fraley was one of the Lions' best positional coaches in 2020 as center Frank Radno made now made the Pro Bowl, left t- tackle Taylor Decker had one of his best years yet, and rookie guard Jonah Jackson made a solid NFL debut. That's a quote from an article on Pride of Detroit, so go check that out on uh, Hank Fraley. So, looks like a good hire. I I, you know I, I know they, sh- they should be putting feelers out to other people, John, but based on what happened in 2019, it's almost like, if you feel like you got a good candidate, you probably got to get your hands on him quickly and get him in the building, because... What happened in 2019 was a disaster. They couldn't get any kind of coaches to come here. So, uh, I, I mean, I see your point about interviewing more, but um, I, I don't know. Would you be happy with his hire? I, I, he sounds on paper like a good hire.
2: Yeah, I think they could definitely do worse. And I, I guess the other one that we could talk about, because Bill Callahan's off the table, they're not going to be able to get an interview with him unless they offer him and a promotion. And I don't think the Browns would allow the interview anyways. But Frank Pollock, I guess, is the other guy that, that fans yeah. are going to be talking about, and I, I want to get your take on this because to me, it just seems like it seems like we we know for the most part how that relationship kind of ended. It was, you know, obviously Marvin Lewis got fired. Pollock was the guy to replace Paul Alexander, and he just he he, he didn't stick around because I, I feel like either he was not chosen by Zach Taylor as as his coach, or Pollock just wanted to leave when Lewis got fired. So we don't know for sure how it ended up, but a a reunion is possible. I just want to know how likely it is based on how it ended. Is is it possible that he comes back after choosing to leave in the first place with the same head coach kind of still being there? Yeah,
1: based, again, from kind of the mile-high view that I have and we have um, and and kind of the optics of his departure from a couple of off-seasons ago, I would find it hard to believe that he would return. It just seems like... Hit, I, you know, there was kind of one of those mutual decisions, quote unquote. Um, just like Jim Turner was a quote unquote mutual decision. I don't know that I fully buy that. I think that's a little bit of saving face there. But, you know, I, I mean, I just don't see Pollock coming back here unless it was just something to the, you know, Zach Taylor said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm bringing in this guy who I'm very, very close to. It's nothing against you. This is just the guy I want to bring in who would be Jim Turner. And maybe there aren't hard feelings there. I do remember, though, John, when Frank Pollock, I I wish I could pull up the tweet here, when Frank Pollock left the Bengals, Joe Mixon Mm -hmm. immediately ran to Twitter and said, getting rid of our, our best coach or something to that effect. Um, and that's a guy who that's not his position coach. That's the offensive lines coach. And he said that that's the best, best coach he played with. And if you remember in 2018, Joe Mixon, much like at the end of 2019, Joe Mixon went on a tear at the end of 2018 with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. So, you know, he was one of the best running backs in the AFC behind an offensive line that ended up playing better that second half of the year with names like Alex Redman. I think Christian Westerman was maybe in there once or twice. Um, and I think Clint Bowling uh, was, was hurt at the end of that year, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go back and look. But basically, very patchwork offensive line. And Frank Pollock was doing something exceptional, as was Joe Mixon behind it. So I think it would be a good hire. I just find it unlikely based on kind of a little bit of what we think we saw a couple of of couple of years ago.
2: I, I don't know that a re- reunion is going to take place, personally speaking. Right. And, of course, someone else that we hear all the time is a guy that – Almost made the news this weekend, Willie Anderson. Um, I, we've talked a lot about, and we had Willie on the show, and he, you know, mentioned that he loves what he does as a, as a player development coach, and he would accept like a consultant role. But Willie Anderson's not going to be the line coach. But Willie Anderson was, I guess, kind of in the news this week. He was a semifinalist for the 2021 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Unfortunately, 15 names were mentioned, and he was not one of them. Were, were you surprised by this? Because un- unfortunately, I, I wasn't really surprised that much.
1: I wasn't surprised from the fact of what his resume is or was. I was surprised at the fact that uh, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was surprised at that fact. I was not surprised based on the team that he largely played for in the era that he played in. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes with a lot of Bengals players. And, you know, now a lot of people, these, these, analysts and powers that be that cover the NFL you know we, we kind of scoff a little bit at Pro Bowl nominations because it's kind of more of a popularity contest and not necessarily the best players make it from their respective positions Jesse Bates cough Jesse Bates you know I I guess I just I, I unfortunately I'm not surprised and I don't I don't know what it's going to take for some of these guys that are very deserving. And there's going to be guys that will be brought up in conversations. Chad will be in that conversation. I'm sure Corey Dillon will be in that conversation. There's going to be a lot of guys. Ken Anderson and Ken Riley are still in that conversation where you go, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Is it going to take the team to win? Is it going to take a more engaging personality in the front office to, to, and and getting the name of the Cincinnati Bengals out there is going to take a ring of honor. I don't know, but He's a guy who's deserving, even though he only had, what, like four Pro Bowl nods. It's because he was on a terrible team for a really long time and he didn't get his due. He was the most dominant right tackle in his era. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, in his era, it was all the left tackles that were getting all the all the run. And he kind of got
2: overlooked. I I think there's some weight that you can say that just being a semifinal is kind of kind of, kind of kickstarts your momentum into eventually getting in there. Like he said, the conversation has started, you know, there's, there's at least some publicity about this going on right now, but also um, Tony Baselli and Alan Fanica have been semi-finalists for years now. And both those guys are, are now finalists. And I think it would help a lot for Willie. If at least one of those guys eventually gets in like Baselli, obviously played in the same era as, as, Willie did in the early years of the Jaguars. And obviously the Jaguars weren't tremendously good. I think they had some success obviously in the nineties, but I mean, you know, he doesn't have a ring, but Fanica, like a dominant guard for the Steelers for a team that was consistently making the playoffs, like the fact that he hasn't gotten in, I think obviously still, I I guess, pisses off some Steelers fans as well. So for at least one of those guys or maybe both those guys to get in, the list kind of then decreases and then Willie kind of starts to rise up to to the top of potential names that, that eventually will get in. So I think it would help for other guys to get in before him. Um, it, it just doesn't seem likely for again, like you said, the era the era of Bengals football that he played in, him, the fact that the Bengals were a joke for the most part that he played for them. It, it's hard, even with people knowing who he is and him playing kind of later in you know in the media era when there was more highlights, I guess, of, of those teams. It's hard for that stigma of playing for that bad of a team to help your case, despite how dominant that you were.
1: It's it's a shame. And you know, uh Willie was all class if you if you followed him on Twitter, he was all class about not making it to the the finalist uh, round, even if he made it to the finalist round of that fifteen. I don't you know probably would have been snubbed from there as well. I mean, it's just kind of the unfortunate truth there. And it's not, again, it's not because he's not deserving. He's a very, very, he was an excellent football player. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who else was in his era, the team he played for and and all of that. But to your point too, going back a second, I, I do not think that, either party is going to want Willie Anderson to, to be the offensive line coach. I think he's pretty content and working with high school kids and doing what he's doing. And then I think the Cincinnati Bengals are just looking elsewhere. Um, you know, I, 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 that's just my take on it. I don't know if you feel differently, John, but uh, I don't, I don't see the fit there.
2: No. And even if he is offered, I don't know why he would take it. I think he loves what he does. And I think that job is so much more fulfilling than being an offensive line coach. I think if he, if he had the ambition of being a coach in the NFL, he probably would have taken that route already because he could definitely um, thrive in it if, if given the chance. But I think he's very comfortable where he is, and I'm, I'm glad he is comfortable where he is because I think he's doing a great job.
1: Yeah, he's he's done a couple little like internship things, but I think it's more it's not more to get his foot in the door to be an NFL coach. I think it actually is more to help his like consult consultancy business with offensive linemen and stuff. I think I think that's it, it kind of worked the reverse thing, John. Real quick before we move into some Joe Burrow stuff. Chuck Anderson says, do you just quick little non non sequitur, I guess, but does Whitworth get into the hall of fame in your opinion based on this conversation? Because now this guy's Mr. Fine wine, right? Uh, just seems to get, he's even better with the Rams mm-hmm. than he, than he was with the Bengals. It seems. Um, what do you think on that one? I, I mean, think he, he does actually.
2: Le- legitimately fine wine. Like people talk and tout Frank Gore all the time. Frank Gore like came out just one year before. I think Whitworth did. In the NFL and Whitworth came into the NFL as a 24-25 year old rookie. And the fact that at 39, 40 years old, he's still playing at a legitimately high level. He's not just trucking along like Frank Gore is at this point with, with cement in his legs. Like he's still a top-notch left tackle. Yeah. And if he if the Rams had won that Super Bowl a couple of years ago, I, I think you would have confirmed that Whitworth would eventually get into the Hall of Fame. But at this point, he definitely has a tremendous case to at least get in sometime down the line I don't know if if he gets in it, it'll be a, immediately obviously but I think he does have one of the better cases of any former bengal out there right now
1: yep yep and uh, news today too after his you know pretty pretty somewhat severe knee injury that he had uh, I think it was midway through the season right midway late yeah and now he's back he's back he's back and there they, he may even start this week they said so uh for the Rams uh, in the in, in the game against Seattle, so uh, go wit. You know, I mean, got a root for that guy. Awesome guy, John. Much has made the rounds on Twitter and whatnot because Joe Burrow has kind of done one of his more uh, one of the most high profile interviews. Definitely the most high profile interview that he has done since his injury. Um, he appeared on Colin Cowherd's The Herd on uh, Fox Sports Radio and the Channel FS One. Um, I know a lot of people that cover the Bengals put out a lot of quotes, some videos, etc. Um, we're going to share just a brief clip of it with you. It's it's probably like a 10-12 minute segment so we can't do the whole thing, but we've been doing sound bites of the week throughout most of the the season so we're going to kind of embed this sound bite of the week here and we're going to talk a little bit about what we heard in the interview Joe Burrow um talking with Colin Cowherd. I'm going to cue this up here. One sec. Um, I'm I'm going to go about a little bit into the interview and go maybe a minute or so into it. Um, and then we'll, we'll chat about that there, but here is Joe Burrow on Colin Cowherd show.
0: Uh, I thought you had a spectacular year until the injury. Uh, we, we had said by week two, I mean, I just said this kid, there's an it, um, He's better than Romo, and I loved Romo. I thought Romo was a gamer. How would you evaluate your rookie year? Let's take the injury out of
3: it, the games you play. You know, I think I played well for the most part. You know, I have some pretty tough games. Pittsburgh, Baltimore um, come to mind that, you know, going into next year, I need to be more consistent in those big games. But I think for the most part, I played well. I was really efficient. But. Uh, There's still some things that obviously need to be corrected. I wasn't great with the deep ball, which I was pretty disappointed in because I've usually, you know, I've always been pretty good at that. Um, so that's an emphasis for me going into this offseason hitting those big plays and creating outside the offense and creating those big plays on my own. This may sound like a weird
0: question, but you're an Ohio kid <laughs> and all of a sudden you're quarterbacking an Ohio team, you're facing the Steelers. You're facing the Browns. Was there a moment in your rookie year when you literally went under center and thought, this this is surreal? Literally, my dad's a college coach. I'm a high school player. I left Ohio. I came back. Now you're in this division, which is tough. Cleveland and Ohio and Pittsburgh. Was there a pinch-yourself moment this year for you? You know, not during the season.
3: um, Leading up to the draft. You know, knowing where I was going to go I think it was exciting for me to come back to, to Cincinnati come back to Ohio and actually get to play um, for, for the fans but you know during the season there's no time for that you got to win games you got to play well right now otherwise you know you, you see what's happening across the league if you don't play well you know you people are trying to run you out of town so there's no time to, to pinch yourself say wow that's the Steelers wow you know I'm playing Thursday Night football against the browns
0: um, you got, you got to play well did you hit it off with Zach Taylor, your head coach, quickly, or or did it take a while?
3: It was immediate. You know, I think Zach is, is going to be a great coach for a long time. You know, I'm happy to be in the position that I'm in and, and to, to help build this organization, but it's going to be on Zach's back. He's, he's the leader of what we're trying to do, and he's awesome. Yeah. Does he ever –
1: So let's stop it there, John. I mean, we could go on and on again. This is a 13-minute interview. I said 10 to 12 minutes. It's actually longer than that. I don't want to poach Colin's show to (laughs) make his show our show. But some interesting stuff there. A lot to get to. By the way, just one other thing that we'll tack on at the end. There was a really, really cool moment at the end when Colin asked him, you know, is he going to be ready for week one next year? And he kind of said with a smirk, basically, you know, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. It'll be fine. And confidence 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 that's what this kid exudes where do you want to start here john do you want to st- i, I kind of want to start with the zach taylor comments personally the last question he asked him about zach taylor number one do you believe it number two do you think that that answer right there if if you do believe it is why zach taylor is coming back in 21 and that alone
2: i i think it's obvious that they enjoy working together like this. It's been a partnership that's existed since what, like February, March of last year when they just communicated before the drafts. Zach being the coach that he is, the, the experience as a coach that he has, like it, like it's obvious, like he, he knows how to communicate with a guy like Burrow and just quarterbacks in general. I, I think that is genuine. Uh, of course, he can't like speak on, you know, other management issues with, with, with how he you know, manages the team and stuff like that. Not, but for the most part, like Burroughs comments kind of match other veterans like Gio and CJ Uzoma and Tyler Boyd, and they all kind of stick up for him. And along the same vein, like this guy is a, is a good leader of our, of our team and of our locker room. And I, I, th- I think, you know, he kind of hinted at it towards you know the end there. Like it's, it, is, it is on his back. Like people say that this is Burroughs team and he galvanizes them and he's the leader and he's the voice of the locker room. But at the end of the day, like, a lot of responsibility, if not most responsibility falls on the head coach and Zach. And I, I appreciate him kind of clarifying that and giving him the full brunt of responsibility, because if they don't win it, it's going to be looked at on, on Turner. It's going to be an indictment on him because we see Burrow and we see a known commodity, a, a, a legitimately good NFL quarterback, even at this stage in his career. And if they're not winning, it's probably have something to do with that coach. And that's not what he was saying, but it is true. Like he has that full blunt of responsibility of putting this team in the best position to compete and win. I think it was good that he that he did say that.
1: If there's something that Mike Brown has learned or has become known to value from his father, it's that you got to have continuity at quarterback and have a good one there. And he they really like the skill position guys. They like wide receivers. They like flashy running backs. They like those guys. Um, I, on the quarterback front, I. Embedding the house that Mike Brown does not want to go through any kind of situation like he went through with Carson Palmer in terms of having this franchise quarterback being disgruntled, quit on the team, and have you know the team's name, his family's name, dragged through the mud publicly by a lot of different people. So that's why I think you know this is going back to our sink or swim type of conversation about this coaching staff that may play into this, right? Like he may say, you know, we're Burrow wants you back. You guys got a lot, lot to prove. He got hurt this year. Um, if this doesn't work this year, and Burrow either gets hurt again or you know it's not up to snuff, we're we're cutting bait. And um, I don't know. I, that that was kind of a train of thought I went I went through today as I as I listened to Joe talk.
2: It's hard to compare this franchise to really any in the league, but there is I think an example that I think everybody should look to, and it's the Texans. And they drafted a quarterback, and he got hurt in this first year. He tore his ACL, and he came back. And they kept that same head coach, that same incompetent head coach, for four years of his yep. of his career. Four great years of his career. That they, they they fired him. They moved on from him. And now, according to reports, like Deshaun Watson's disgruntled with with Houston. You know, I, I think everybody can agree that Deshaun is a great kid, and he's a and he's a great quarterback, and he's a great leader, and, and everything that goes with that. But if it can happen to Deshaun Watson and the Texans, it could easily happen to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And we we look at Burrow as just the guy that can't say anything wrong. He's a perfect you know PR guy, and he says all the right things. And he's just he's just the ideal leader, franchise quarterback, and everything. If things don't improve eventually, th- there's no telling what he'll say and, and what message that he'll convey towards everybody else and, and give this team a bad name if they don't continue to do the right things or start doing the right things around him like it, they, they can't count on burrow to just remain loyal and not want to move on for the betterment of his career or not have that relationship kind of you know tarnished to a point where it's beyond repair like it end up being with carson palmer so it's great that they have the support of burrow but at the end of the day burrow has only played 11 played 11 games in, in his career and he's got that humility and, and humbleness to know that he still has a lot to prove but once he starts proving and and everybody realizes that it's not on him. It's on the rest of this team. Things can easily change.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even this injury, what struck me about this interview, even with this injury, even with, you know, him only winning two games in the games that he started as an NFL quarterback, um, the confidence level still there. The, uh, the confidence in the staff and the direction of the team is still there. And I guess, I guess it kind of plays into my last question to, to, you know, how much is this towing the company line and how much is it, is it believable? It seems in his tone of voice that he believes what he's saying. Um, and, and I'd like to believe him as well. It's just, you know, some of the records also. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to kind of hard to know what, what we're dealing with here.
2: No, but I honestly I honestly do believe that he's being genuine I think the comments that we hear from other players they are honestly genuine I, I think people like Zach Taylor for who he is but at the end of the day if the results don't come that tone can easily change yeah
1: uh, any other takeaways that you got out of that or um, from the interview I'm sure you've seen it by this by this point but anything else that you found particularly interesting aside from the fact that he's pretty confident that he will be back for week one
2: yeah he, he did mention you know he was not only commonly he going to be back week one, but he was going to end up practicing a little bit in training camp, which would be an unbelievable win. Um, I, you know, the, the whole consensus was that it was a nine-month recovery process, and that would get him right up to week one. But if if he's able to take some practice reps, obviously non-contact, um, sometime in late August, or early September, that's, that's advantageous for the Bengals. But I also loved how he kind of broke down that uh, game losing interception against the Colts yeah. and kind of, kind of so coward off guard a little bit. I mean, just went out to all this, um, you know, football jargon and whatnot, just breaking out of the play from a schematic standpoint. And I think he's just dying to get back into it. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. he's in California, just rehabbing, doing stuff he doesn't want to do. He just wants to get back into the facility and, and kind of prepare for next year.
1: Yeah. And I think he's, if I remember correctly, I think he is heading back to Paul Brown stadium to do some stuff um, in the near future here. But yeah, it's a good point about that one with um uh, the Colts. The Colts game is what he was kind of breaking down and the interception that get, that sealed the game there. And he kind of he actually apologized at one point to Colin, kind of saying, Oh, sorry, I'm just kind of going on a on a rant here. And Colin's like, No, I'll go for it. Uh, very entertaining interview, courtesy of Colin Cowherd in the herd on Fox Sports Radio and FS1. I know. Colin has some critics and some fans and all of that, but uh, he, he does provide quite a bit of entertainment regardless, and uh, that was a very entertaining interview. You can find it on their channel, you can find it on their Twitter account, all that kind of stuff. Um, go check it out. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're going to maybe try and get to, we're going a little long on some of this stuff, but we're going to try and get to maybe some season awards and uh, maybe some top moments of the year if we've got some time. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Get this show on your favorite audio streaming platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all those. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's a little logo right on John's nice sweater that he's wearing tonight. You can Mm -hmm. uh, click that and subscribe to our channel to know when we go live, when new stuff is available, as well as when Chalk Talk episodes from Matt Minnick are available on the channel. So um,
2: check that out. All right, we're gonna transition to what ideally is like a little little fast paced back and forth here. We're gonna do season awards. Um, not a lot of awards to really give out on another losing yeah. season, but you know we're 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 gonna start with an interesting one. We're gonna go we're gonna go coach the year, and I believe both of our answers last year were special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. I have a different one this year. What do you think?
1: Ooh, you know I. I am actually inclined to stick with Darren Simmons again, I think. Um, you know, I guess that's, that's maybe a little bit of a cop-out on my end. The, the one issue is his sticking with certain field goal kickers. Um, and then when you try out the other one, it's uh, really not much better of a result uh, towards the end of the season. And then sticking with Alex Erickson at, at punt returns when there's just an insane amount of fair catches that should not be made and uh, not many big plays coming from the punt return game. I like Alex Erickson. I like what he's done for a long time for this team, but um, there just doesn't seem to be the same spark this year. But other than that, um, you know, Kevin Huber had a nice year and, you know, Brandon Wilson had another record. He had a franchise record setting kickoff return and, um, you know, special teams was definitely not the reason why this team was losing games this year for the most part.
2: That's a good one. I think I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to focus on defense. I was I was picking between Al Golden, the linebacker's coach, and Robert Livingston, the safeties coach. And I think I'm leaning towards Livingston because I think there's just a stigma of Golden being the third down play caller and obviously not a lot of success on defense with that. But Livingston has been around with the team for the better part of the last decade. Started off as a scout. Then he worked his way up to second to a secondary assistant. Now he's been coaching the safeties for a couple of years, and obviously the big viewpoint with with this is Jesse Bates. You know, from going from a really good player but really inconsistent player to just an elite player in his third year to be Pro Football Focus's best graded safety, arguably the best free safety in the NFL right now. But also to integrate Von Bell into into this defense as well to get solid performance out of him for the second half of the season, and also integrating Brandon Wilson like you mentioned into the defense in some of those dime packages to get all three of those guys working together ideally I guess you would you would have liked to see a role kind of carved out for Sean Williams but I think the play from Bates and Bell and even Wilson at times on some of those crucial uh, passing downs really helped keep the defense afloat and obviously Bates I I think uh, Derek Classen on Twitter at QB class he said it best like Bates it's just like putting out all these insane fires that the, that the rest of the Bengals defense kind of creates. He's just running around there with like a fire hose and just putting out these incredible flames that the rest of the defense that, you know, how they cause problems, whatnot. He just did his best to make sure everything was controlled and he ended up getting like 15 combined pass deflections and pass breakups. And I think Livingston, a guy who's still fairly young on this coaching staff, has done a lot to help develop the consistency with with base and obviously just continuity with, with a defensive scheme in general. But I think the safeties were like the strongest point on this team in general. And I think Livingston deserves credit for that.
1: That's, that's a very, very good point. Very good point. And I wouldn't debate you on that really. Uh, I, I, we kind of got some comments about coach of the year. This coach coaching staff was, not very good this year. I understand, but hey, we do season awards. there, you know, if you're at, if you've played sports and you've done like the banquet thing and there's all kinds of little individual awards, team awards, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what we're trying to embody here. Where do you want to go next, John? what well, I was thinking maybe most improved player. What do you think about that?
2: Sure. we'll we'll go most improved. I was also kind of troubled with this because you could obviously you could easily go Bates for how, you know yeah how he's descended. But I think I'm gonna go Carl Lawson as a guy who, along with Bates has always been a little bit inconsistent. He's had obviously injuries to deal with, but his ascension especially towards the second half of the season um it, it was incredible to watch and you know early in the season people were like, you know, is this guy really that good? He's not getting a lot of sack numbers and not getting a lot of pressures. The, I mean, the rest of the defensive line just wasn't there and hasn't been there for the entire season and the fact that he basically carried it for the entire season and carried the pass rush while well, it just was decimated by injuries and inconsistent play for him to develop into a top-of-the-line pass rusher and someone who should probably get paid as such in a contract year. I think he deserves credit for that.
1: I like it. Uh, I You know, I, I thought about a lot of different players on this one, um, some that are younger that have kind of stepped up, uh, some that are, uh, you know, uh, towards the end of their careers. I kinda, I'm kind of leaning towards Mike Daniels. Uh, based on what we saw last year with the injuries and all of that and what what he was able to, to provide this team in the wake of so many injuries. He had an injury as well, but towards the end there, he was a really important player uh, on, on uh, as to what they were doing up front. And our, our buddy uh, Sons, S-A-N-S, who does a lot of uh, the same uh, – similar stuff, I should say, to Coach Matt Minnick on Twitter. Go check out his film film review stuff. He's done a lot of stuff on – Mike Daniels that I found, uh, you know, pretty interesting. And um, John, you've done some stuff as well on him and Margus. And I think one of your weekly linemen that we have up on our channel talks about that. And I, I, you know, looking at that kind of stuff, I'm like, you know, Mike Daniels is just quietly doing a lot of work. And I, I guess I've got a stop for him because he'd come on the program a couple of times and he was just an outstanding interview. But, you know, for a guy that was on a rental deal, you kind of figured at best he'd be a nice rotational piece. Um, you know was thrust into a really big role and and I think stepped up uh, you know even though the defense didn't play well overall I I, I think he was I think you could say he's most improved particularly based on how his season went with Detroit the year prior
2: That's fair I think he's a candidate for this next one which be unsung hero of the year
1: yeah I'm gonna go with the one Leo Sean uh, talked about here about Marcus Hunt, that was the guy I had for that. I hope I didn't steal yours there, John. But uh, that was a guy I was I was thinking about. You know, a guy again that edge guy, and they've moved him inside a bit. He has played the edge, nothing spectacular, but he had it. He got his pop a couple of times late in the season that caused big turnovers. Um, I think the one against Baltimore this last week, and then a big one in Pittsburgh. I think you diagnosed that one on your weekly lineman, if I remember correctly, John. So a couple tackles for loss. And again, um, you know, when I've done these awards on cincyjungle.com, Unsung Hero, a lot of times is a guy who steps in and plays well because someone else is injured or just kind of rises above expectation. And that's kind of where I've come to feel this way about Margus Hunt. You know, this was a guy, I laughed when they signed this guy. I was like, oh my God. Really. and he's come in and he's played pretty well. Uh, so, you know, for, for what what he's been expected to do and what he has given them, uh, I, I would say that's the guy I was looking at.
2: Yeah, it's, it's 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 a wonder where Hunt has been for the past seven years. Apparently he's been in the NFL for seven years. I just don't remember him before this, but <laughs> it, was, it was a good signing. Uh The, the guy I'm going to go is Trey Hopkins, you know, the, the most consistent player on the offensive line. The only guy who started like 15 games on this offensive line and continued to play. At a solid level, you know, the, the fact that he had just turnstiles at both guard spots throughout the season just didn't help. It was unfortunate what happened at, at the end of the season to, to, to tear his ACL in such a meaningless game. It was, it, it was, it was definitely heartbreaking. But I'm very glad that he, he got paid last season. He definitely earned that paycheck because without him, the offense line would be a lot worse.
1: I like it, and uh, I. I- I don't know what what the future holds for him because that's a very very <laughs> last game of the season. He tears a knee ligament, and so now you go, what does that mean for next year? And you could, like you said, are you know pretty much the best offensive lineman this team had this year, and um, now you got him with a knee injury. You've got Jonah Jonah Williams with a knee injury, though not a tear, but you know it's just not the way you wanted to end the year on a struggling offensive line with two of your best guys having knee injuries. Where do you want to go next?
2: Hmm, let's go comeback player of the year.
1: This was tough for me because there's guys that technically came back and played okay uh, if they were injured. You know, you could look at AJ Green and say, you know, there's just a lot of up, a lot of downs with some of the ups, but he did play the entire season. Um, you know, there are a couple of other you can say Jonah Williams, but then he ended up leaving early with injury. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm inclined maybe to go Drew Sample just because he gave the team a little bit more than than what was expected and he gave them pretty much nothing last year as a second round pick. So, um, this was, I I don't think I have a strong answer regardless of who I would pick here, unless I'm just missing someone that's glaringly obvious and you made me make me look pretty dumb here. But, um, I, I, that's one guy that kind of popped to mind for me.
2: I I think that the, going into the season the favor was aj and there might even still be an argument for the fact that he did play the entire year and yeah. had productive like a handful of productive games but yeah. I, I am gonna go with jonah williams just for okay. the fact he just missed his entire rookie season he hadn't played football in like 600 700 days um up from like the 2019 national championship up until week one where he faced joey bosa and melvin ingram and he had some rough moments for sure but As a first-year left tackle coming off of a season-ending injury, I think he played extraordinarily well. And I think there is definitely a lot of upside with him still, and he can definitely still be improved, especially now that he'll hopefully have a competent offensive line coach. So for for them to get what he gave them as far as pass-blocking production as a first-year player coming off the injury, I think it was definitely well-deserved. Much
1: more pleasant to watch than the – merry-go-round of John Jerry and God knows whoever else last year um much much better when, when Jonah Williams was in there let's go to rookie of the year right hard the, you know Joe Burrow probably would have ran away with this one had he stayed healthy the entire season um by the way pro football focus graded the Bengals draft class as the number one number one draft class uh, by their mm. metric so uh go check that out that was kind of that was kind of neat um I guess I would go T Higgins simply because of the burrow injury, uh, but a a good class all around this year. What do you think?
2: Like, I still want to, I still want to go burrow just because he just met expectations after so much expectations were put on him. Um, And for, for the sake of devil's advocate, I think I'm going to go Logan Wilson. Actually, Mm. Um, I, I, as someone, I didn't have a lot of expectations for uh, to kind of just grind his way into uh, the, the, it, you know the 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 rotation at linebacker as the year went on, and there were there just weren't a lot of negative plays with him after like the first handful of weeks in this defense, where again it was a dumpster fire for the most part. But I think he played pretty well behind you know a revolving door of defensive tackle rotation, and I, I you know it, it was it was refreshing to see you know a young linebacker for the Bengals to just kind of be in his spots and in read his keys and get into his fits and also be an adapt player in coverage. He just had more good plays than bad, and it seems that's extremely rare for any Bengals linebacker, nonetheless a rookie linebacker. Higgins obviously deserves to make, you know, honorable mentions for all rookie teams, and Burrow definitely would have been a candidate for rookie of the year had he stayed healthy. But as far as where, where my expectations were, I think Logan Wilson surpassed it most.
1: That's a, that's a good point. I mean, created a couple of turnovers and, you know, kind of provided – quite a bit of what what has been missing at that position for a while. And I know, I think he's, he's a bit older in terms of a rookie, right? He, he yeah. uh, got a little older. It's and, my age, uh, exactly. Uh, the old Me man, cool.
2: right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, and I know sometimes that that is, um, you know, a knock on, on guys as they come out of the draft, but sometimes it does, you know, in a position like him, sometimes it does pay dividends a bit having some of that experience. Like you said, he was in the right spot more often than not. And that's uh that's a key thing here. Um, let's what, what do you, what do you think? I uh, want to just wrap it up here with MVP.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll, let's go for agent of the year. I think okay, yeah, okay. Right, right before then, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Von Bell is the answer if not just for his one play against the Steelers and Juju Smith Schuster, a guy that battled a lot of like negative attention because he got picked on in coverage a few times. And just, I mean, there's no reason why he should be a deep safety anymore being those coverage shells at all. But I think when he was utilized to what he does best, he was a, he he was a solid player. And I think at the end of the day, he graded out as one of their, one of their top players on defense and for what they signed him for and what they expected out of him as a leader and just as a consistent player on defense, I think, And the fact that he just stayed healthy, unlike DJ Reader and Trey Williams, unfortunately, I think he's the clear winner here.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm almost inclined to go. That's a good one. Um, I'm almost inclined to go with Reader simply because of the drop-off that was seen when he was not in the lineup. It's kind of like a, it's almost like winning a, a most valuable player because you see how the team reacts when you're not in the lineup and it's not good type of thing, Um you know, but I mean, you could go, uh, to me, this is kind of a coin flipping, go Mike Daniels. You could go Von Bell. I mean, I, I, I guess since you went with Von Bell, I guess I would say Mike Daniels again for this one um, because, you know, like I said, a lot of these guys, these high profile guys have been hurt and they just didn't, weren't able to provide much this year. Also, actually, let me, let me backtrack. I got, I got one for you. I got one for you. I'm going to go McKenzie Alexander. I'm going to go McKenzie hey, Alexander. There
2: we go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I like what he brought this year. I hope he's a guy that they they retain. You know, I feel like he brought a lot of what they had hoped Darquez Denard would have brought for them in the slot. Um, a lot of physical play, a big, big, big game against the Steelers um, and a couple of really nice games. There were a couple of times he was, he was beat, but uh, missed a couple of games from injury, but overall pretty steady. I think he's earned himself a, a decent contract here. I hope it's with the Bengals next year. So I'll say Mackenzie Alexander.
2: And just like that, Mike Daniels has declined an invitation back on the show. I know, you I know. know. All, time. Time. <laughs> All right, I, 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 let's, let's end it on MVP. If I feel like this should be pretty obvious. Or maybe it isn't. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Uh... Ryan Finley. No. Um... <laughs> uh, man, you know, I guess – this is a hard one. I guess I would go. Uh, I guess I would go. Would I go Higgins on this one? I guess I would go Higgins on this one. Maybe. Um, you know, he started really? slow. Offensive production. Wow. Well, okay. Let, let's, let's 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 pump the brakes there. I guess we'll go Bates. I mean, I think Bates has to be the guy. Um, yeah, uh, Jesse Bates. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, the argument for Burrow is obviously there for what the drop off was. And how much he carried the offense when no, no rookie really needs that all that pressure. But I mean, Bates—the fact that he's not a Pro Bowler and maybe not even an All Pro—the yeah. fact that he had a legitimate argument for being Defensive Player of the Year, and like we talked about, just putting out all these fires around him and making so many yeah. impact plays—he's yeah. he's the clear MVP as as far as guys who played the entire year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I overlooked him too briefly for a moment there, but yeah, Bates has to be the guy Um, pro football focus metric King this year. And uh, you know, absolute joke that he was not nominated to the pro bowl, but um, yeah. So those are our season awards, John. Do we, do we have time to do some of the top moments? Do we want to save that for another show here? We're already an hour in up to you, my friend.
2: I don't know. Like, I feel like we can, we have time for like maybe one each. If you want to just okay. do that, unless you want to save them all for one second, I mean,
1: there's, not, there's not a bunch of great moments of great, right. but um, go
3: for it.
2: After that Browns, after that second Browns loss, I legitimately thought that this team was just just spiraling downwards out of control, and no one thought that they were going to beat the tech, the, the Titans, even competing against the Titans. So for them to play as well as they did against an eventual division winner who for some reason just didn't want to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry and put it all on Ryan Tannehill, for them to be competitive throughout that game and have so many iconic Joe Burrow moments, but just one that really just stood out, just the, (laughs) the throw to Tyler Boyd in the red zone when Boyd wasn't even looking and then Boyd just turns around the ball, just magnetizes into his grasp, they get into the red zone. I think Giovanni Bernard scores a touchdown a couple of plays later. Like there there's just so many other Joe Burrow moments that make you think this guy is legit, but in that game to make everybody so clueless of how that was even possible. I, I think I think that's the moment that really stands out.
1: This is one of the moments here that you're talking about, John. The um the Tyler one the Tyler Boyd touchdown. And this, yeah, I mean, to this point, we'll put kind of keep this on loop here, uh, for, for folks to enjoy. And it was this was a, this was a great win for the Bengals. We really thought they'd turned a corner at this point. And, um, you know, uh, there were a lot of really, really fun plays in this game and it was a surprising result. Good win for, for Zach Taylor and company. I mean, there's only four to really discuss at this point. Um, you know, this was, this was definitely one of the moments there that you, you had to like. Um, and I, I don't know. I, he kind of just felt that this was going to be a stepping stone game for them. And unfortunately, you know, the injury and all of that in that Joe Burrow interview, by the way, on Colin Cowherd, he talked, he just outright said, I felt like, or we felt like there were a lot of winnable games on the end of this schedule, largely talking about the NFC East and other games that they had um, playing, playing him, rematching some of the AFC, uh, AFC North teams, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Um, So yeah, he kind of, Kind of got a feel that, uh, unfortunately, that was that was a win that that felt good, but did not lead to where we wanted it to lead to. I'm going to share one more here. This is uh, obviously, uh, you know, I, I love what Joe Burrow brought, but you know, we've been wanting a little bit of balance, and we wanted to see Joe uh, Joe Mixon play well. Here's here's one of the runs here um, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and then of course he, this this one was after the big run up the middle, a, a big day from Joe Mixon and the Bengals offense to get their first win of the year week four against Jacksonville. They had been so, so close the, uh, the, the, the previous weeks, you know, the Tuesday night, uh, sorry, Thursday night game against the Browns and, you know, other, other games there that you felt that they were close the, the tie against the Eagles and they just weren't getting it done. And they finally got off the Schneid here. You see, oh they were Oh, two and one at this point And they were, really dominating the Jacksonville Jaguars, even though the score didn't totally know, uh, note that, John. They um, you know, they were controlling the line of scrimmage and doing a lot of positive things in that game. So uh, that, that, that had to be one of the better moments of the year, too.
2: Listeners probably hate us for not mentioning Von Bell's hit.
1: Well, I, I was going to pull that up next. I was going to surprise you, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it's, again, a game that no one expected to be fun in any way, shape, or form. Personally, I, I don't know how like Juju's dance could be motivated at all. It's just, it just seems cringe to me, but I'm not a football player. I don't, I don't see this happen and I don't, I don't know how to com- compartmentalize it or just factor it into my process of getting prepared for playing a game. But it was something that Bell talked about earlier that week. You know, it's, it's disrespectful, but we got to make sure that, you know, when we send the message, we put it between the lines and, You you couldn't have asked for a more legal and dominating hit than what Von Bell did, and and it just sends shockwaves throughout the entire you know NFL media. And it was a primetime game, and everybody saw it, and it really just set the tone for the rest of that game. Like a a game that again nobody expected the Bengals to win, even when they were up seventeen, no one expected them to hold that lead. But they just kept that same intensity after that hit, even before that hit. It was just, it was just. It was it was unlike anything I really ever seen before, especially in that matchup and in that setting. It was it's why Von Bell is what he is, and why he deserved you know free agent of the year, I guess, in, in that honor. But it was a moment that it was very unique to me and something I've never really seen before as a Bengals fan.
1: Yeah, we always talk about the Steelers, uh, the Bengals needing to out or the Steelers or punch them in the mouth for for however many times they have done it to the Bengals and. Um, you know, I gosh, what was it? Uh ten ten straight games they had lost to the to the Steelers at this point, right? Something like that. Um yep. so you know, it it was really kind of finally giving it back to the bully, even if it was just this one play alone. But the Bengals play it came to play that night for sure. They came to play on defense, they came to play on offense, which is saying something with Ryan Finley, even though he only threw for, I don't know, eighty some yards, but I mean, they were just making plays in the run game, making a lot of plays on defense and uh, taking advantage of a a Steelers team that was trying to find its identity at the time. But still, I mean, the Steelers are the Steelers, and they made the postseason with 12 wins. So it was was a quality win on primetime TV. So you have to like that. Um, And it's just kind of poetry in motion, given that you kind of mentioned a Juju dancing at the the 50-yard line and then this hit occurring right around the logo he was dancing on. So, I mean, it was just kind of like, wow. Uh, what, what a storyline there. I do want to ask. I when I immediately saw this, John, I was like, Oh, why'd they blow that dead? I, I saw that he, it looked like he had, even even live, it looked like he had those three steps and it was a fumble. Did you think that, or were you like, Oh, incomplete pass, or were you just celebrating in general? Didn't, didn't really pay attention. I,
2: I thought it was a fumble. Um, I, I wasn't shocked that they kind of picked up like there, they negated the uh, the Jordan Evans uh, recovery. I was, I think, more. Um, concerned or just questioning if it was going to be like flagged or not for like an illegal hit because I mean, it's a bang, bang play. And it's, it's easy to see a ref kind of like throwing that flag on instinct. But I mean, we've seen the replay hundreds and thousands of times and it was as legal as it gets. And it was definitely a fumble. He took at least two steps and had possession. So again, though, like if that happens and especially if the Bengals are like relevant and they're in the postseason hunt and that, that moment happens, it usually gets taken away or it's diminished in some way, shape, or form, but it it stayed true. And, you know, regardless of what the the win kind of meant for the season and and for the team in general, it's something that not all of us are going to forget anytime soon.
1: Yep, and hopefully it's just something now. Joe Burrow has a start that did not go well against Pittsburgh. They've got this win now. Hopefully they can start building on some things to even out that rivalry as well as Baltimore because, um, well, I mean, even Cleveland of late, Uh, You know, it's been it's been lopsided in the AFC North after, you know, the the early and middle parts uh, and even some of the later years of the Marvin Lewis era. I mean, he kind of dominated the AFC North for the most part, Um, did fared pretty well against the Ravens, did very well against the Browns, did not do well against the Steelers, obviously. But I mean, the division games were he was pretty sound. Marvin Lewis was that is not the case at all with uh, with Zach Taylor, unfortunately. We're gonna we're gonna get on out of here. Let's drop the mic, John, we got to a lot. We went a little long, but we crammed a ton into this episode. Uh, what do you got for us tonight before we bounce on out, my friend?
2: Yeah, as, as Anthony mentioned uh, before, we, we felt it was best not do the show on Wednesday because of obvious reasons and also for personal reasons. Um, I got a DM though on on Twitter today. And uh, like uh, upon like first reading it or like seeing the first paragraph of it, I was expecting kind of the worst but it was from uh, Josh Cal- Calvacanti I think I'm saying his name right oh, and he's yeah. uh, like a, he's like a producer for the Bengals Brawl podcast which features James Rapine and Tony and Tony Pike and he basically essentially he said you know I followed you a long time but I unfollowed you recently because you know you know you just come off as negative to me and I I needed to remove some of those I guess the the, the negative influences in my life but I realized that you know it was it was, it was a mistake on my part and I really appreciate all the work that you and Cincy jungle do and you know he just sent this really long apology to me and it really I don't know like I I just been thinking lately you know especially with I guess mostly with the Bengals you know I I think I'm kind of perceived as kind of a Debbie Downer or just a negative you know guy or just a realist in general and I I just you know I I thought to myself you know recently like it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to kind of alleviate some of that stuff and you know kind of come off in more Positive and engaging manner. You know, I think our our own Matt Minnick does a great job of that, and that's why his follower his his following has grown exponentially of late. But you know, it, it was it was nice to get a message like that, and, and to, for someone who has followed me and us on Sis Jungle in for many years to kind of you know come out and, and kind of say that and, and bring that honesty. And I, I really do appreciate that. And anybody else who wants to talk to me, obviously, and communicate with me in, the, in that way on on Twitter, they're always welcome. But it was a really nice, you know, kind of message that he sent, and I, I really do appreciate that that sort of walk, wake up call as we begin this year that hopefully is better than the last.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's a good follow too. I think he and I follow each other on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I, I mean that's I I've been accused. I think someone said a handful of weeks ago that I quote quote unquote I hate watch the Bengals when I uh, when I tweet out <laughs> when I watch games, and I don't mean to be that way. It's just you know you watch this team for a long time and uh, you know they can wait. they can wear you down a little bit the way they they find ways to lose and stuff but the bottom line is John and I are passionate about this team we wouldn't do this show if not um, and you know we still get blown away by the amount of support that we get for this show and what we do what Matt does what Ace and Zim do um, the amount of downloads and views i said this on one of our post game shows the amount of views and downloads and guests we had this year and all of that was just really humbling. And um, I, I really mean that. And, you know, when when I hear someone send you a message like that, John, and see some of the messages in our live chats and stuff, it, it really does mean a lot. We do try and read as much as we can. We do try and see as many comments as we can and everything. And, uh, you know, seeing that people appreciate what we do and the time that we put into this does mean a lot because we, this is a labor of love for sure. I've said that before. And, um, you know, John and I, put, put the work in here, but you know, we, we do this for the listeners and for all of you. So, um, you know, I just, I guess I'll just kind of piggyback my mic drop on yours a little bit and just say a a continued thank you to you, John, and then to the, to the listeners as well. Just, um, you know, it makes this when the team, trust me when the team wins six, six games in a tie in, in the last two years, um, it's not always easy coming, you know, coming behind a microphone and and giving you all kinds of different stuff. But we try and uh, we try our best. And the fact that we've grown even through all of these rough years,
2: it's it says a lot. So um, we appreciate that. Yeah, that'll that'll do it for us. Um, for, for Anthony, for me. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you pretty soon. See you guys. Next time.